When it comes to growing food, either on the farm or in our homes, weather and climate play a deciding role in what and when we can grow and how successful our harvest will be. We're going to look at how different weather conditions affect the growth of plants, how we can work with the weather to help produce our crops and how climate change may affect the way we grow food in the future. Hello and welcome to the Met Aaron podcast. I'm Liz Walsh. I'm Noel Fitzpatrick, and this month we'll be exploring the basic science of how plants grow, the risks weather pose to our crops, how climate change may affect food production, and we also get some tips from the experts for those of us growing food at home. To kick things off, we're talking with Derek Kyo, farm manager with Kyo's. The moment is very busy, so everything is in the ground, starting to come up through the ground. So we're on just finishing our spraying program for all our weeds. That's a very important part of the growing season. So if you don't get it controlled, well then it just leads into issues down the line of competition for moisture and light and everything for the potato. So yeah, it's busy at the moment that the weather has been quite nice. It's a little bit colder than we would like it. There's been a lot of late frosts and has caused other guys in other parts of the country. But uh, here in our farm, we're fine. Our potatoes are only starting to come through the ground at the minute. So weather's been nice to us, but maybe not so nice in other parts of the country. Derek, what kind of weather information would you look at the most frequently and find the most useful? Um, most frequently, I try to watch the RTE weather in the evening time. If I'm at home, um, we put in our own weather station as well here in the farm. So it's great for reading your soil temperature, your air temperature, your leaf wetness, your rainfall, all them things. And it kind of gives you, I suppose, a little bit of data to go back and look at things throughout the year, which I find very interesting and helpful. Are you keeping an eye out for certain weather conditions or patterns that you know could be cause for concern? Yeah. Um, it's, again, it's all down to where your crop is or what stage of the season things are. Ideally at planting, you don't want cold, damp, wet weather. So you're watching out for them. You know, this year it was quite cold at the start of the year, but it kind of, it was dry enough to let us do our walk. So we were happy to do our walk. In other, other parts of the, or other times previously, you might have it too wet. And then you're, you're all the time watching the weather for a window to get in and maybe you know, you might only get three or four days to do, you know, 100 acres, which is will take us a, a bit more time than, than three days. So you're you're watching for your window of weather and then you're, you, you can be going flat out for three, four days, long days, long nights, trying to get it all squeezed in. So it can it can change every season. That's one thing you'd say, but, you know, every year, it's always a little bit different. Last year, we were looking at lovely warm temperatures coming through COVID and everything was lovely up to you say June and then it turned on its head and got wet and cold and summer kind of fizzed out fairly quick we didn't have much of a summer after mid-June so it, it it's all the time changing every year throws something different so we're always watching the weather for little things. Was there a time when a weather event had a significantly negative impact on your farm? 2012 would probably be the year I'll never forget. It was the year my son was born. Um, but uh, it was the wettest winter or wettest summer 
we ever had. And the, we had 2018, the driest summer we've had. Weather seasons seem to be getting more extreme if we're talking about weather. Um, but I will take a dry season over a wet season any year. Um, it was very hard that year. It was just the, the, the actual costs in relation to having to spray every three or four days. That was, like, I lived in the spray for that summer. I didn't see Lisa or Dylan that whole summer. Just that alone, the, the wear and tear and all your machinery then for that harvest. We, by the grace of God, and my dad did this, we used to have one set propeller back then. We bought two. And we didn't buy two at the wear school last year. And potatoes in 2012-2014 were never as expensive and haven't been. You know, we, there was potatoes being sold for seven, eight hundred euro a ton, and normally it'd probably be two fifty to three hundred is normally a good price for potatoes. They were three times, nearly three times the price. So, yeah, wet seasons, nothing, nothing will grow. It's a nightmare to get them out of the ground and look after them, and it, it'll just test you within an inch of your life. Yeah, yeah, it's it it'll hammer your yield. It could probably. It could probably take thirty percent off your yield. In some, in some, you probably end up losing losing crops in wet parts of the field, and that's another hit. We we're probably in the, the driest part of the country. In around Dublin Airport, it seems to have less rainfall than anywhere else in the country. If we were in Donegal, I don't know how them guys grow potatoes up there because they just get <laughs> more and more rain every year. So. Um, God has potato growers in Donegal, and I know a couple of guys up there, good farmers, and they've just they just get tested every year. It's just relentless. They're still, I think they're still planting potatoes. We're finished planting potatoes, nearly touching four weeks, and they're still only finishing. So there's what 300 kilometers to Donegal, and there's the difference in your weather. You can't put a cost on on, on weather. It just it'll frighten you if it goes against you. It sounds like you, like you have to react and adapt, um, like, you know, with what, whatever is coming at you the whole time. But how do you manage something like the risk of uh, potato blight? Yeah, OK, potato blight's very important here in the farm. So when we're watching for potato blight, it's again, what stage is the crop at? So is the potato crop only a young potato crop that's going through a rapid growth stage? And... They're very, very susceptible because they're growing a lot in a short number of days. So for the first maybe five, six sprays of blight sprays, they're nearly your most important because your crop is developing at a rapid rate and you can get maybe a bit of frost damage in there or a bit of wind damage in there that can set the crop back into another little bit of stress. If you have a stress crop and then it gets a little bit of blight, well, then you're watching for your opportunities to spray that crop at the right times because you might have wet and windy weather for a week and it could get in, your blight could get in then, but then you could come into a, a week in June that could be 25 degrees all day until the evening time and you can't spray during the day then, you have to look after your crop and spray in the evening time. So there's, there's lots of different factors you have to look into your potato crop at the stages when it's grown. 2018, remember we had the real dry summer. Mm -hmm. 
it was it was hard to look after the potatoes then because we we didn't know were we doing the right thing by spraying them or the wrong thing by spraying them. In theory, we probably shouldn't have put any sprays on them. We tried feeding them with trace elements and helping them to take the stress away. And it helped a little bit, but probably would have been better off just to leave them alone. It's, it's funny, like every year is different. That's just, it's not just, you know, carbon copy, oh yeah, we'll go again next year. Something will change and something will be different next year. Potato blight, we've got good sprays now, probably better sprays than we've ever had. There's a couple of good new ones after coming on board, allowing you to spray less. So you've more, your spray is active in the plant longer. So it's giving you, they say 10 to 14 days. I find it very hard to leave a potato crop for two full weeks when it's grown during the season. Uh, 10 days would probably be the max that I would leave a potato crop. You've obviously been operating there at Kyogram for for a long time have you noticed there's been a change in how you approach growing potatoes there based on the fact that you've got all this new data available to you lots of new weather information available and you mentioned you're even taking those measurements on the farm there as well yourselves I suppose the weather apps and the, the, the actual the reading of the weather has got so more in the last 20 years since I, I started probably 20 years ago when I was 18 working on the farm yeah the, the weather apps they are a benefit they are more accurate they do allow you to plan things a lot better in your ground your planting or your harvesting they're, they're good tools to have you know if you knew weather was coming at 6 o'clock on you know Friday evening you would push on to get that field done hopefully at lunchtime so you know you don't like planting into we, we would always say don't plant into bad weather because you never know what you can get and um, but then you know spraying this time of the year yesterday i was spraying and i got completely washed out of it i had to go back this morning and start again so um it, it can happen you know but um they are they are an, an aid that helps plan your 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 farm better would it change anything? Have we changed anything drastically? Only in machine technology have we changed things. You know, machines have got maybe a little bit bigger, a little bit more output. Your sprayers have got GPS in them now, so they're, you know, they're shutting off early. You're not overlapping sprays. They're very accurate on reading your fields. So if you get used to reading your fields, you'll only put in the liters that you need to spray that field. You don't have leftover sprays and stuff like that. So that's a cost saving, a time saving, and you're not wasting chemical sprays, which nobody wants to do anymore. So. Would you have a, do you have um, a few key pieces of advice for people growing potatoes at home, Derek? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm uh, trying myself. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, 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 we grow, we have a little small vegetable patch at home. The kids love doing it, so I'm, I do it. Um, Every year is different, you know, as I keep saying, um, you can only judge it on what conditions you have. So if it's too wet, too cold, you know, don't, don't, don't plant your potatoes early. We always have our thing. In Dublin, it's after Paddy's Day. If you're down in Wexford, you're allowed going in late February, early March, stuff like that. But if you plant them too early and too cold the ground, they won't, they won't grow. You may as well sit them in your, your, your fridge because that's where potato seed come from. Our potato seed has come from our cold stores. 
So if you put them into cold ground, they're just going to sit there and they won't do anything. So try try hold off until the weather is warmer and your crop will come better. Um, if you are planting them, try have a good seed bed. So where you plant them, have nice ground, not all lumpy wet ground. Give them give potatoes a little bit of room. Don't like to be planted in tight on top of each other. Don't plant them too deep. Rule of thumb, maybe the, the depth of your hand, where I have there. So if they're seven inches, six, seven inches deep, that's probably a nice place for them. They'll get moisture and they won't be too cold or won't be too dry. If they're planted early and they're up over the ground, just watch out for frost. Frost this time of year, we've had like exceptionally cold May. A lot of hard frost this year. I've known a couple of guys in County Loud and County Wexford completely burnt potato crops. Mm. So watch out for your frost. The frost is your enemy this time of the year. If you're putting any feed or fertilizer, don't put too much. You don't potatoes don't like too much fertilizer. You'll only grow what I call canopy, all your green part. And you don't get anything for growing nice green canopy. You only get potatoes <laughs> underneath. Don't water them too much. I know if it was dry for a prolonged period of time and it hasn't rained for over 10 days, yes. But I wouldn't be watering potatoes every three or four days. You don't like too much rain. If it came to the end of the season, try and give them an extra couple of weeks. Don't be pulling green plants or plants that have flower. You know the way potato plants throw flowers? So they plant will grow green and then in the same part of the season you'll see all the flowers come on. But when the flowers come on, it's only starting to really tuber bulk and grow your proper tubers, your potatoes underneath. So after that, you need to want to give them a full month. Okay. Let get out. So if you go digging them when they're green, they'll, uh, they won't taste nice. They'll go black after you boil them and uh, you'll rob your, your yield. Two things there, Good advice. To dig a little more into the science behind how weather influences the growth of plants and crops, we're joined by Dr. Michael O'Donovan, head of grassland research in Chagask. You know, the basics of a crop, any crop, like there's there's a requirement for temperature, there's a requirement for radiation, i.e. sunlight, for, for to capture chlorophyll, and there's there's a there's a requirement for, for water. And you know, the guiding light of food production is your climate. So in Ireland we have a temperate climate, you know, very much governed by, you know, what's coming off the, the western seaboard as regards rainfall. Um, and then I suppose the colder streams coming down from the northern side, northern half. So, you know, we have a very temperate climate here in Ireland compared to France, where you know you have a lot, a lot more, I suppose, uh, warmer, less rainfall-prone climate. So the crops that we grow here in the western half of Europe uh, are, are slightly different to what we would see in in the middle of Germany or the the center part of France. And you know that's because I suppose we have those three things in good supply. We have, and I suppose we have temperature increasing in the spring, peaking in midsummer, and then declining as we go through the autumn. So I suppose they are the real basic requirements for, for plant growth and plant cell division. The key crop for us, and, and we see it every day, if you have a lawn outside, is, you know, we, we can grow grass and, you know, people will be cutting their lawn a lot more frequently in the next couple of weeks because of the fact that we have had a very subdued growth rate. We've had low temperatures, low enough rainfall in April. Coming into May, we have had higher rainfall. 
So now we have, I suppose, a lot more uh, photosynthetic, so photosynthetic activity in, in the grass plant. Generally, in around this time of year, peak growth takes place mid, mid to late May. Uh, like the grassland part of the country is, 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 is a very, uh, I suppose, productive sector. Our livestock are, 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 are eating that pasture. You know, we're cutting silage from that pasture. And you'll see that happening now, although it's a bit delayed this year because of the weather that we've had in the last couple of six weeks. And are there are there particular times a year um, when the weather conditions you like because you mentioned there like you know we've had a like a cold spring and a, a cool uh, April and and a, a cool dry April, um, but are there particular times of year when the weather conditions are particularly important to growers like times of the year when the growth is more fragile and you're more at the mercy of um, of the elements than at others. Um, the weather patterns, I suppose, have slightly changed in, in the sense that. We, we seem to be getting drier Aprils now than we previously were getting. Um, and this year is particularly colder in the sense that we never really got to elevated temperatures. We never really got to you know, you know, high levels of, of, of radiation. Um, and even though we had radiation, then we had low temperatures. So I, I think the month of April, from Patrick's Day on, on to the, around the 20th of April, is a really key time. Um, yeah. It's a key part of the year. Because that's a part of the year when we expect grass growth to, to, to kick off. So, you know, if that period comes to be, I suppose, delayed, and, and it can, it's slightly delayed. This year, it was much more, I was looking at some figures, it was much more delayed in 2018 when we actually had a subsequent drought in the summer. You mentioned there, Michael, the fact that we had quite a cool uh, spring so far, pretty quite a cool May, and also the importance of soil temperature and things like that. Like, why do we need warm temperatures for, for, for a growing plant. Well, I suppose there's, there's two things, I suppose, you know, if we have temperature, um, we're probably getting cell division, we're getting leaf elongation, and we're getting some leaf appearance. And you, if you move back to the autumn, when we have, let's say, soil temperatures down at, let's say, four and five, and we have a, a low level of, uh, you know, radiation or a low level of sunlight, and, and you know, when we get to the winter, to the, winter spring periods we we might only have about two hours of sunlight in the day so temperatures are are, are 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 at very low levels so cell division is at a low level leaf appearance is at a low level and leaf extension declines so generally the grass plant will only put up maybe a, a leaf maybe once every 20 to 30 days in that period whereas as we get into the, this time of year we're looking at a new leaf every seven to ten days and that's directly related to the temperature that you that we have um, and you know, we would generally say that grass growth or even, uh, you know, wheat growth or, or barley growth would be restricted at, at, at below five degrees Celsius. Temperature then is related to radiation, it's related to sunlight, and the more sunlight that you have, the more photosynthesis that takes place. And, you know, that basically drives on leaf extension. And the more leaf that you have on the plant, generally, the more growth that you know, you get you get some exponential growth taking place. So, like temperature is the key is the key thing. Earlier in my career, uh, I spent some time in France in two thousand and three, and it was one of the one of the years where there was a heat wave in France. It was, it was it was getting up to forty degrees Celsius, and you know there was no growth for probably uh, two months of that summer. Um, but you know, searing heat and plants under complete stress, and if when a plant gets stressed. It's like everything, it reacts unnaturally. You can never go 
that one year will, will will be the same as another year because of the weather patterns that we are we are now uh, we're now moving towards. And you know, a weather decision in general is is a business decision because it has impacts on what you do in the next day, in the next week, in the next month. What are the conditions that cause um, blight to spread, and and how can growers respond to a blight warning? It's a uh, an airborne fungus, um, very much. A problem for us in Ireland, you know, pretty much caused it caused uh, the famine. Um, it's a disease that we we know about, and it grows rapidly in humid weather. Like the blight warning for for potato farmers is a crucial thing because you know if blight gets into a crop, it will wipe a crop. It'll wipe wipe a crop in a, in a couple of days, and the spray warning for blight warning is really important because you know when you get to the middle of the season those potato farmers could be spraying every seven to 10 days because of the fact that we have such muggy, muggy uh, weather here in this country. And like above 10 degrees, you know, that's when, you know, that's when blight can, you know, it takes off and, you know, you know, there's a year's work gone. The things of, I suppose, from a, a forecaster point of view, would be looking for a warm front um, yeah. with warm air behind it and um, kind of that, you know, where it's cloudy, can be misty drizzly but also, but really warm um, and you might have sunny breaks coming through as well like um you know because this time of year that's what happens so yeah we'll be definitely um on the lookout for that and i think especially for us in the forecast office the it's the first blight warning is the most important one to get right <laughs> so the spraying conditions are good critical conditions that we have to look out for as forecasters is like when the wind speed is less than four spore um, and little or no precipitation they're kind of the best best conditions so it's kind of that's how you know you're using weather data to to make decisions in the field there's no such thing really as bad weather a wet day can be a good good news for a farmer a dry day can be good news for a farmer as well Exactly. Um, I've, I've noticed recently on the farming forecast that we have these like uh, grow, grass growth predictions um, included on the Medair and farming forecast. How are those generated, Michael? You know, we pride ourselves now uh, in Pegasus and Medair that we have, you know, the first grass growth uh, prediction coming through the, the weather service. And how are they done is... Um, we had two PhDs uh, completed in Tagus. Um, the most recent was Elodie Ruel, uh, who's now a researcher and who actually supplied the data to, to the, the forecasting team. We have built up uh, a network of farmers across the country that measure grass. So we have about three and a half thousand farmers who measure grass and they input that data through Pasture Base Ireland. And that's a, a national uh, grassland database. What Elodie has built is she's built a grass growth model which takes account of weather, which is the data coming from it here. Um, and the main weather parameters are rainfall, temperature, and radiation. She's looking then at the biomass that is on those farms, um, which is basically the amount of grass on the farms, on, on, on the paddocks that are specific to grazing. And she's looking at some of the, the soil ca characteristics like the organic matter content, the soil mineralization content, and uh, the P and K content. <clears throat> Once she has <laughs> good weather and a good uh, history of what, what level of grass is on the farm and the fertilization of that grass. She's putting together a predictive growth for the week for those farmers. And then that's memed for the seven days forward into a, you know, the, the predictive figure that you see. So uh, there's a kind of a lot of moving parts to, to that. There's, yeah. the, the, there's the weather, there's the farmer's data, there's the fertilizer data, and then there's the soil data. We have weather stations now on about 35 of those farms. 
and that's added to the weather stations that we have with yourselves in Tagus, and you have, of course, of your own weather stations. We expect the farmers to measure their grass on a Monday, and the simulation is done on a Tuesday. You know, that's what goes out, and we do it again from here on the Friday. It is proving to be really important, and I suppose that has really come true to us in the sense that now we have, we're getting texts before that goes out, we're getting WhatsApps from the farmers, when is the forecast? When is the predicted forecast? <laughs> if we had that probably in 2018, we didn't have it then. We probably would have made better decisions as regards the management of grass in that time. And I suppose that's where we really want to get to with this. If you can get good decisions being made with good data, there can be a lot of winners in that in that industry. It's new and it's innovative and it's world leading. So uh, it's nice to have that between ourselves, Medair, and and the farming industry. You know, because um, as we get to you know more challenges in weather, this grass growth model will become more and more of a of a real tool to get over those those issues. Considering some of the ongoing and predicted changes to our climate. How might crop growth be affected here in Ireland, do you think? There seems to be more rainfall in the, in the, in the autumn coming through. In the last couple of years, what I've looked at, April seems to be a lot drier month than, than what it was previous. There's probably cutoffs that probably we need to get to. as you know, Crops have to be in by a certain date. And that probably, isn't, that, that probably can be a yearly change in thing, but like looking at the patterns, there seems to be a bit of a shift that, towards that. Like I don't see huge changes in what we grow but i think we we will be making more informed changes with how we manage what we do with regarding weather met aaron provides a range of weather products for farmers and food growers we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Clara Finkela, Head of Agricultural Meteorology in MetAaron, to discuss these products and how changes in our climate may affect agriculture here in Ireland. So Clara, in, in your work, you must interact with a, with a wide range of, of different people and different users of, of our data in MetAaron. What kind of information do you find that they're most interested in or that is most uh, useful to them? Well, for agriculture and for growing uh, plants or animals as such, the most important thing is accurate weather forecasts in order for them to be supported in their decision-making day to day, but also they would like to have month to month or year to year forecasts. So what we provide in Medarin is the daily farm commentary. So every day on our website and on the, on the app, so in the farm commentary, we provide a commentary on the past rainfall, the past week's rainfall, the temperature, air temperature, and soil temperature, sunshine radiation, because that really drives growing, and then spraying conditions because of disease spraying and so on, because you don't want to have a spray drip, and also the soil moisture, and then any other additional comments, like if there's a fire weather warning and so on, is in there as well. And then... There's an outlook given for the next week, roughly what to expect. And this is the important bit for the farmers, like, you know, when to time their activities. Um, so that is really what the best forecast for them is the most important thing. And also on RTE, the, the Sunday television forecast, the farm commentary is there. And that now includes the grass growth that is predicted by Chakask. 
so this is like the daily, the daily, every day um, in the farm commentary. And as I mentioned, there's the, the monthly forecast, but also in the agricultural unit at Medeiron, we also provide the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine with um, advice um, every spring and every autumn. In the spring, it's for the lambing season, the nematodiris report, depending on the weather conditions, if it has been a cold or mild, then there the lava, and if it affects the lambing, then the, the farmers need to be more vigilant. So that's for April. And then in the liver fluke, that's in November. So that's all weather-related animal diseases. Um, there's also the plant diseases. Of course, everybody knows about the potato blight. And we have been working with Jagos um, on updating our current potato blight decision support system. And we're implementing this at the moment. So there's going to be some changes on how we're going to issue potato blight warnings, as well as some additional information. That decision support that the farmers really are looking for because they're a regular spraying cycle. And with European uh, directives, we have to reduce pesticides by 50% in the next few years. So they're really, they need precision agricultural information uh, so that they adjust their spraying cycle according to um, our mild and wet conditions coming down in three, four, five days time. So they slightly adjusted, but they do need that information two, three days ahead in order to do that adjustment correctly. Um, are there certain type of weather conditions or patterns that we would be, you would watch out for that can cause problems for growers, Clara? Like we, everybody still can remember 2018 when we had a spectacularly nice summer. In fact, mid Aaron started the drought warning, something we've never ever heard of before. So that resulted in a major water crisis, you know, with climate change, what we'll be seeing in the future um, is longer spells of drought in the summer, but also wetter winters. And so these short, shorter, high intense rainfall, the overall rainfall will be probably the same, but the winter rainfall will increase, the summer rainfall will decrease. So that means the growing will be at jeopardy. There's the, the risk of not enough fodder being produced like hay and silage, which we have seen in 2018, where we had this extended, I think it was like six weeks with no appreciable rainfall. And in 2018, we had to import hay from the continent. But if the continent is under the same rainfall regime or drought regime, then it became, becomes a severe crisis and it has to come from even further afield, which is even more expensive. So there is a funded uh, study at the moment to look into the historic cases and weather patterns that set up a fodder crisis. It affects the economy and also the housing of the animals, because if we have a very wet winter, the animals have to be housed longer, say, which means they are eating last year's hay, and once last year's hay is, is gone, it has to be important, ported. So if there's a delay in the spring, so there's various different aspects of the growing cycle that can affect the fodder and therefore may or may not result in a fodder crisis. These, these periods of dry um, summers is gonna be increasing at the same time as 
winter rainfall will increase. We, and that is something the growers and the, the seed producers need to develop now for um, to, to kind of have climate resilient seeds in, in 10, 20, 30 years time that, that they're drought resistant, but they're also flood resistant. Is, you know, this, is, this is a double whammy. So I, from, from what you're saying there, it's kind of more um, that, that growers would be more interested in extremes compared to what, um, like extremes in weather that happen through the season. Like, you know, um, you know for example, you know, you, you talked about 2018 there, a more recent thing I can think of just now, like, you know, been on the desk is that the, the late season frosts have caused a real big problem for, for growers this year. Yes. I mean, these are these are kind of like individual events, but then there's also the, the sort of like the longer, you know, sort of trend. The increase of minimum temperature in the winter will be detrimental for animal diseases sake. And that because the frost kills off certain animal diseases. And if that frost isn't coming in, that has detrimental effects on certain parts of agricultural production. And then the other thing is because the reduced minimum temperatures will, in, will actually result into a longer growing length, which one would think maybe this is a good thing. However, if you couple this extended growing season with a lack of water, then it, it starts growing in the spring. But then like we had last year, there was already kind of, there was this nervousness because we had a fantastic spring, but then this, the, the rainfall kind of was like less and it just got turned around in the nick of time. Basically, you need to know everything. You need to know everything to the best of, you know, detail in terms of day to day, as well as season to season, as well as decade to decade. So you kind of, for agriculture, you need to know everything. So the extremes in terms of summer drought or winter, extreme rainfall, but there are also some other events which may, may have not been thought about, or the general public may not think, think about, like a single hailstorm can wipe out the crop. And that happened in 1985. There were severe thunderstorms on the 25th and 26th of July, and that had a major detrimental effect on the crop. And in fact, myself, I'm from Bavaria, and we have hail insurance for the crops that because that one single hailstorm can knock down all your crop, especially when it's just about to be harvested. With agriculture and food production, it's all about providing a decision support to what to do at what time precisely to the, to, so they can maximize food production while minimizing the impact on the environment. If I was a small grower, with um, you know a plot out in my back garden, I'm growing some vegetables, something like that. Where would you recommend that I go to uh, to get good information? You know, are there certain products, or, or where can I find the products that Medairn provides? Um, I mentioned at the beginning um, the uh, the farm commentary. Like every day, there is a summary of the past weather, past week's weather, and that gives you the current conditions. Like you know, should we be see putting the small seedlings out or not? Is there likely frost in the coming week? You know, that sort of tender age when you put them outside. 
or, you know, so the farm commentary would be a general, what are the conditions now? Are we ahead or behind? Plus a general kind of like what's ahead with the week. Really the best forecast is the daily, um, the national forecast that gets updated every few hours. So you do want the best, you know, day-to-day -day forecast. And looking, looking to the future then, if we are seeing perhaps maybe new technologies or new data streams that might be available, are there some that you see coming in the near future that will be a real benefit to food growers? Um, yeah, we are actually talking about this, and this will be launched probably in the next few months or at least this year, that relative humidity is so important for plants. Uh, like if you think of the potato blight, it's really driven by relative humidity when it gets moist. And so, um, so on the app and on the website, there will be specialized products for growers. And one of them is relative humidity. Um, we're also looking at blight information on our website soon, like um, on, at Synop stations, that they can actually see that themselves. In terms of emerging science, there's uh, there have been already Horizon 2020 projects on citizen science. Like there was this Grow Observatory that people were given, like hundreds and hundreds of um, small sticks to put in the soil that uh, measures radiation, temperature, and soil moisture to kind of have this, you know, big data approach to things. And then the other emerging thing is drones. There's a couple projects by um, Maynooth University where they're using a combination of drones, remote sensing, like satellites, because drones are also remotely sensing, um, and then in situ observations, like our synop stations, as well as like soil moisture probes and so on, to look at how we can combine low quality data that has a, a high distribution like satellite with precise in situ, but they're like point-based. So they're, they're using artificial intelligence and machine learning to combine all these different data sources to pr produce um, a, say soil moisture, for instance, because soil moisture is really at the crux of growing. You know, you have your radiation, however you have it, you have your rainfall, but then what happens with the, so with the water once it's in the soil? You know, what can the roots, what can the plant actually access in terms of growing? And then that has implications for the nutrients and, you know, does it, do, does it need nutrients or if the, the nutrients get applied when the soil moisture is very high, will they get leached out and they're actually not being used by the plant? So what you're saying there is these large-scale observations, say, that we get from satellites, for example, they're giving us a broad view of what the conditions are, say, for example, for soil moisture. And then we're combining that with these more precise point mm -hmm. measurements from our weather stations, for example, and they help give us confidence, for say, in the measurements that we're getting from the satellites and letting us know, you know, how accurate are they and if any adjustments need to be made. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite complicated. So it becomes a downscaling and also a quality issue between the different data sources. Um, and then with that artificial intelligence, then hopefully we can decide, or, you know, decide what the soil moisture really is. Because at the moment, Medarin does produce soil moisture conditions but they're modeled and we, we don't have verification data for that. So that's kind of 
a bit of a, a shortcoming. The other thing with um, future proofing is like, can we use land to sequester carbon? So the soil carbon sequestration and can the, the farmers manage land in a way so it takes carbon up rather than be a, be a source of carbon. This is, this is the whole new way of doing smart agriculture and using agriculture to be part of the solution rather than the problem. And also then looking ahead what the European Commission are doing with digital twins of the earth. And there is some developments with a digital twin for agriculture. So you kind of model what all agriculture does and then see, can you use it to optimize the carbon uptake and so on. So there's quite exciting, very exciting things on the horizon and they're not too far away. Well, that's all we have time for in this episode. Our thanks again to Derek Kyo, Dr. Michael O'Donovan and Dr. Clara Finkela for joining us this month. Feel free to get in touch with us about this episode or any other weather and climate related topics on MetAaron or RTE weather social channels or by emailing us at podcast at met.ie or weather at rte.ie. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe to the MetAaron podcast wherever you get your podcasts and do check out previous episodes. We'll be back with a new episode next month. So until then, thanks for listening and take care. The Met Aaron podcast was researched and presented by Dr. Noel Fitzpatrick and Liz Walsh. The podcast is produced and edited by Jenny Lanagon. 